Hey, thanks for taking a listen to My Millennial Money. My name is Glenn James. I'm the host of this podcast and I have some exciting news. The name of this podcast has changed to This Is Money. If you want to stay up to date with our most recent episodes, then search for This Is Money wherever you're listening to this podcast. Our focus stays the same. We want to help you live the life you want on your own terms. So subscribe to This Is Money for more episodes. But for now, enjoy the episode. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. In today's episode, we're talking about managing your money in your 20s. So are you in your 20s? Do you know someone in your 20s? At any age, we can always pick up any money tips, right? But this episode, I really want to focus on those in their 20s. So if you are in your 20s, if you know somebody who's in their 20s, maybe forward this episode because they need to hear all this stuff. We've got a good friend of the podcast, Alex German, who joins us for the chat and we talk about all the things. So thank you so much, Alex, for jumping on M3 to talk about how to kind of set up your 20s in, I guess, the the best way that you can under the situation that you're dealt in life. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. No worries. And I guess for those out there, the reason I've kind of chosen Alex to have this discussion because you're at the time of recording, pretty much around smack bang middle 20s. Um, you know, you've you've done some cool things. You've, you know, you've said in the past and we'll get to that you've dabbled with maybe credit cards at a younger age and that wasn't as cool for you. So I think I wanted to get Alex because, you know, she's just killed it in a few areas of her life. And I think while it's just her story, we can use this discussion as an example and some of the things that I'm suggesting that, you know, I didn't do in my 20s that I wish I'd done. We can just have a bit of a chat. So it is a kind of a looser chat about how to manage money and setting up your 20s the best way for you. Now, I'm going to talk about some kind of practical kind of things with our money and our budget and all that. And then I'm going to ask Alex to talk about more of the people side and some experiences and learnings that she's had in her 20s. So let's, uh, let's see what I've got here, eh? Let's do it. Are you scared? Not really. Okay, cool, cool. So I think before we start, and I'll say my first point, from whatever age you are, and if you're not in your 20s at the moment, there's still stuff you'll learn from this. There's still stuff like, I'm going to say my first point being, be clear about what you want to do. So if you're in your 30s, well, okay, you might not be clear. We'll learn from this point. And I think sometimes as we're growing up or in school, you know, we're not that clear. And I want to tell people, if you're in your 20s and you're not clear on what you want to do, that's actually okay I think you just need to use this time in your 20s to actually find that thing that you're either passionate about or, I don't know, does that make sense with you, Alex, about getting some clearness? Yeah. That's not a word, but whatever. Clarity. Clarity, that will do. (laughs) Love that. You say clarity all the time with John's clarity calls. I do, a clearness call. (laughs) (laughs) I think when you're in your 20s, you don't have much to lose. I think the older you get, there's a bit more at stake. So this is an opportune time to test the waters take some risks and not have too much at stake. Totally. And so within all all this, you know, be clear what you want to do. We're going to maybe have this discussion uh, and be agnostic about starting a family and kids because that just kind of leads to another um, discussion. So I will say if you're clear, if you're 20 or 21 and you want to start a family in your 20s, 
awesome. You might still be able to learn about this. But I guess in the main, as society's getting older and being, you know, 50s, the new 40 and all that crap, I think we'll just have this through the lens of, you know, leading up into our tw- like mid-20s that you're without child. Okay. It does simplify things a little bit yeah. without child. So, and even that's like in your 20s, just use contraception. <laughs> like don't have a child unplanned, like if you can, because <laughs> it's, it's going to throw a big gold spanner in the works. It does. Yes. Not that I know from experience. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's something you're not but telling us. No, but I could imagine. I could yep. imagine that would be the case. Yeah. Sometimes I say, oh, I, str- I don't know how I would afford a child because I feel like I struggle to afford my own lifestyle. Yeah. But I I can only imagine mm. that it adds multiple layers of complexity. Yeah, and I think as we go on, if you're kind of following the points that I'm making about setting up your 20s, if a child does come along unplanned and or planned or whatever, you do have the most flexibility to adapt. Absolutely. So, a good baseline to start um, from. So I guess... You just got to get clear and if you're not clear, that's kind of your clarity. It's like, you know what? I do not know what I want to do. So that's what I'm clear on. I'm very clear that I do not know. So I'm not, I'm just pressing pause on going to uni or I'm just pressing pause on blindly spending 40 grand on some course about architecture or whatever. You know what I mean? So, But I think those people are fortunate that they have a world of opportunity to take advantage of. If you don't have your blinkers on, you've not got something that you're striving for, then all of these other opportunities are open to you. You know, someone could knock on your door and say, do you want to come and do this? And you're not blinded by some other passion that you're pursuing. You're open and ready to take on you know, whatever comes your way. Yeah, and I think speaking me personally, if I look at my 20s, cut it in half, the first half was total establishment, total didn't know what I was going to do, total grinding, total mess, total didn't have any money, got to 25, okay, I I do know what I want to do, I do know I want to start my own business and then from 20 to 30, it was finding what I wanted to do and then just doubling down on that. It's a whole decade, you know, I'm only halfway through it, but I feel like so much can happen in that space of time. And I think people are rushing and think, you know, I need to do all these things before I turn 30, but, you know, 30 is the new 20. 20. So I I feel like you can start a new chapter of your life whenever you want and many times over. So I don't think there's any time wasted in finding yourself or finding what you want to do. Yeah. So if you are in your 20s and you've just left school or you're new into university or you just got a job, you need to keep out of consumer debt because the the issue with consumer debt, right? And I'll, I'll use an example and I've used it loosely before in blogs and all that stuff. You go, okay, well, I've moved out of home and I've got the new apartment that I'm renting and I've got friends. Oh, we want an awesome lounge. Okay. And you go, oh, let's go down to Domain or Hardly Normal and buy a lounge on interest-free or, you know, Afterpay or whatever that is, uh, and it's my prediction. Unless the government really clamps down on buy now pay later stuff, it won't be four easy installments. It'll be fifty-two easy installments. It'll be one hundred and four easy installments. But that's another episode and a rant. But what consumer debt does is you are spending tomorrow's prosperity and tomorrow's choices today. So you buy the three grand lounge, two years interest free. Oh, it's like they're giving away money. 
But the problem is in 18 months time, because you're in such an influential decade of your life, if you need to adapt or pivot and you're like, oh, we've got to move out or I want to go to London now or I want to do this. Okay. Well, you still owe freaking $1,500 on a lounge that's worth nothing because your housemate's cat scratched it. So you've got to get out of that mindset of debt and living on less than what you earned. What's your experiences been on this, Alex, growing up? So I definitely had to learn that lesson myself. I couldn't, I wasn't able to take on the advice of the people around me about uh, falling into that trap. I did get myself a credit card and I did do a balance transfer and probably another balance transfer and definitely over the space of a few years carried a bit of consumer debt in the form of a credit card and in the form of a car loan that did um, get me a little bit trapped or just not give me the flexibility or agility to take on opportunities. And, you know, you can't say yes to going to Europe with your friends because you do have a credit card debt. Yeah, that traps you. Absolutely. And I think I never bought anything with a credit card that was an emergency. Mm. I only bought fun things that I thought I could buy, but I really didn't have the money for at that point. Or I did, but I just wanted a bit more cash flow. And I really don't think that's a good enough reason to enter into this cycle of consumer debt. Mm. It's funny, like I obviously run the My Millennial Money podcast and I love personal finance and all that, but I'm not above any of the things that we talk about. I'm kind of just facilitating a conversation. And I remember when I was 18, you'll love this, Nath, I had a... I went in, so it was just when um, like the LCD monitors were out, right? And I was a tech guy. I've always loved tech. You can see I love tech now with all this crap. Hello on YouTube because we do this on YouTube now. I, when LCD TVs or no, not even TVs, screens come out for the computer, there was a 34 centimeter one or just like the square 43 one and it was a Sony and it was $800 yep. at the time. And when I was 18... I was probably only earning $300 a week, right? Yep. And this computer monitor was $800 and I financed it on GE Finance. Yep. And I just remember at the time, like it was awesome because I was like one of the first people to have a a Sony LCD computer screen. Yep. Didn't take it, it was light. Love that. I can still remember. I know the exact same model I gave to my cousin a couple of years ago. But... It was kind of the dumbest thing that I've done, one of the dumbest things. And if you look at how much of my salary that cost, looking back, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've learned. It's like it actually wasn't really a blessing. And we all go through dumb things, but the problem is to only do the dumb mistakes once. I think the dumbest mistakes I've made from a spending capacity have been on credit. I don't think that I make as stupid a decisions with my money when it's my cold, hard cash. I think you get lured into a false sense of security when it's not really your money or you can shift the um, responsibility of paying that back to, you know, 52 days or, you know, whatever it may be. And I think, you know, after paying all that, we've got to be clear. It's, they advertise this crap as a budgeting tool. It's not a budgeting tool. It is credit. And the reason why it's credit is because if you owe someone money, it's a debt. And I don't know if I can cut it any other way. And if you think you're helping your local uh, boutique store by using Afterpay and I'm supporting the local store, you're not because they're probably paying 
20 to 30% to Afterpay to be yep. on their platform. So I think you just need to keep it simple, keep it basic. And you mentioned a couple of words there. Into my next point is keeping your, you said the word agile and flexible. Like my next point is keep your cash flow agile and flexible so you can adapt. So if a situation comes up, you can jump on it. You don't have debt. You don't have five contracts with different crap or you don't have a New York Times subscription that's $40 a month you don't really need or just random crap. So you have to be flexible and agile. Sometimes that's a really fun thing to, you know, someone says, let's go on holidays or let's do this experience. Or sometimes it's a really good deal. You know, a cheap car comes up that's really perfect for you and it's, you have to seize it in that moment or a business opportunity comes up or some something to invest in. And if you don't have that flexibility or the agility to, to seize that opportunity, I think you'll feel a bit of regret about your past decisions. Yeah. And we did an episode on M3 called uh, Being a Financial Minimalist. Mm-hmm. And it was all about, you know, you're agile, you don't have contracts, you might be cash heavy, you might just be able to pivot. So you just want as much flexibility. And it goes back to that if your cash flow is agile, flexible, and you don't have uh, debt owing to personal loans, credit cards, uh, you're not going overseas with a personal loan. You just can't do it. Like it's, you can't use debt for crap. Or the like the people that I know who've done well with money have not been credit junkies. It's yep. as simple as that. So don't worry about what everyone else thinks. Everyone's got the brand new this, the brand new that. Some people have said to me, oh, I've got a brand new car, love it. And I say, oh, congratulations on the loan. Because you didn't buy the bloody car, you got a loan, which they'll give anyone a loan. So congratulations on the loan. And I borrowed for a car before. I'm not going to do it again. Um, but if you can just learn from this stuff, whatever age you are, if you're 31 and you're a mess financially, you can start today. 30 is the new 20 anyway. So I know it works the other way, but whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I learned that same lesson with the car. Yeah. I had purchased a really realistic secondhand car when I turned 17. I'd paid for it with cash. I'd done the right thing and my parents had really influenced that decision. And then I got paid a little bit more money, started working full time and looked into an upgrade, looked at a secondhand car and thought that would be a more sensible decision. And then when I look at financing it, it's so much easier to get a new car on finance than a secondhand car. So I fell into that trap. And then I was stuck with a car that wasn't even worth the repayments that I owed on it. And I wanted to go overseas and I had to sell it, Lot, you know, had nothing to loss. it. Yeah. Yep. And that's what I say. I like, I actually don't care if people borrow money for cars because it's not me. Don't actually care. But I would recommend if you are doing that, put at least 20% into it. So at any time you have to sell it, it's not worth less than what you owe. Yeah. And the feeling of buying a car, my, the car that I own now, I paid for in cash. Mm. I felt like I made a much more sensible decision a, and I really thought about that. I was really, um, you know, proud of that decision because it was my cash and I had to hand that over. And it, they just drive better when you own them. <laughs> and I must confess, we went for lunch earlier. I took her for a drive and I loved it. She let me drive. So all that to say... What I was going to say before with keeping your cash flow agile and flexible, if you did fall pregnant unplanned and you wanted to then go, oh, let's start the family now. Because your cash flow is flexible and agile, you can adapt to that situation. You can go, well, I don't have 
like $300 a month on a personal loan from a holiday three years ago, well, that $300 monthly payment, I can now put to bub stuff. So it's just this, I can't stress enough about that um, flexible and agile. And kind of onto that, you did touch on it slightly in one other type of phrase without the lifestyle inflation. Because you're earning more, naturally you'll spend more. Now, I think that's a natural thing if you're earning 30 grand, 40 grand, but it will get to the point in your life and budget where you get to this critical mass. And I guess the Glenn James spending plan, the way I've developed that is to have the blow account. So each week you've got a separate bank account for fuel, food, entertainment going out. So me personally, my blow account each week has basically been the same for four or five years. And what that has done is really kept a cap on how much I spend willy-nilly and I haven't been sucked into that lifestyle inflation. Yep. And that's, I got totally sucked into that until I got to a point where the lifestyle inflation and the, the play money was out of control. And, you know, comparing to other people, I was just spending a ridiculous amount of money because- Because it was there. Yeah. And I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a baseline of what I can get by and what makes me feel really comfortable. I was just spending it as it came in. And it's not till I made a plan and set a baseline and had allocations where all my funds go, then I can make new decisions and know the exact financial impact. You know, if I upgrade my car, what is it actually going to look like week on week? Yeah. Or, you know, if I want to save for this holiday, what's that going to look like week on week? Totally. So coming out of that, I think we need to now talk about savings. Now, you need to save, particularly if you're living at home, as much as possible. There's no better time. No better time. So you've got a spending plan. You've got your, I spend this amount a week on fuel, food, going out. I spend this amount a week on like board or rent or whatever, helping out at home. 50% of my other money, like I'm pumping that into savings. I think I would shift just general savings into a goal. Totally. When it, when I had to when I was saving for nothing in particular, but let's see what's come up. I did not perform anywhere near how I saved when I thought I want to buy an apartment. I need this much as a deposit, and that's my goal. Yeah, because I think what happens is when you've got an actual goal, it makes the trade-offs easier. Absolutely. Do I need these two hundred dollar pair of shoes or? Yeah, I'll just put it in savings and try and get something else or, or wait till it's on sale. Yep. So it's a tangible like thing that will help you have the uh, trade-offs. Yes. When there's an end goal, you can you know how much taking from that will set you back. Mm. You know, if you've got your house deposit that you're saving for and you've got a figure in mind, you know, a holiday that someone suggests, you know exactly how much that's going to set you back. Whereas if it's, you know, a pool of money, and you're only cutting half of it, then maybe you can you can justify that in your mind. Totally. And I guess this is why I'm so pumped about uh, talking about how to set up your money well, particularly in your 20s, particularly when you're out of uni or out of school, you're into the workforce or you're earning good-ish money. If you do it this way, you will so exceed because if you don't have debt, you'll just be catapulted. And what I would say is the first financial goal that you should have and then it's kind of done is to set up an emergency fund so a cash buffer. So we usually say, you know, if you're out of debt, let's get up to maybe three months of living expenses. Yep. So I'll just make a number up. For you, it might be 
four grand, five grand, I'll just say $5,000, $3,000, whatever that is, put that in a separate bank account, lock it away, don't have it on your app, on your internet banking, just other bank, whatever, then that's done. You are building on a strong foundation. Then the next goal, it could be, all right, well, I don't know, I, you know back to the point, well, I want to be clear about what I want to do. I'm not quite sure yet. So financially, I know I want to save up X to buy a house one day. So I don't know that, I don't know what I want to do with my career, but I do want to actually have a goal. So, because I'm going to be working anyway. Yeah. And then at least you've got that goal of like, I want to say 40 grand. So I've got the option to buy an investment property and rent vest or the option to buy a home to live in. Or because we're being agile and flexible in three years time, oh, I want to be a freaking marketing executive and work for myself or whatever. I want to be marketing. I need 10 grand to start a business. Mm -hmm. Guess where I'm getting that from? My freaking own savings. Yep. And I think that can really help drive career decisions as well. When you have a goal and you think, I really want to live in a $2 million mansion on the beach and not that you get that in Sydney, yeah. <laughs> outside of Sydney <laughs> maybe, coast, yeah. um, you know how much it, it takes to get to that goal, to achieve that goal. And if you're not earning that right now, then you have to think about ways that you can you can get to that and it can really motivate you from a work, a work capacity to achieve that. That drove, that drove me for sure. I knew what I wanted from a lifestyle and from an investment perspective. So it really drove the decisions I made around work and career. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. So if you're really crap at saving money, and you do have a longer term goal, maybe over five years, I would recommend looking into investing because at least, see, I'm a crap saver. I'm really bad at saving money. Like so bad. It's such a curse. But I've taught myself to be a good investor. And there's a rule in my life that kind of I build as a habit. Every month when money goes into my investment accounts, it does not come out. I'm just building wealth. But I think there's a rush that you get from spending money. Oh, I love dopamine. That's the problem. And I think, you know, everyone can relate to that on some level, some probably more than others. But I think you have to train your mind to get that same rush when you put money into an investment account Scratch or into a savings. The itch another way. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I get the rush spending money. So I just had to kind of train my brain into the spending also being saving. So spending money on my future house or future apartment or spending money on an investment account, training myself to feel that same rush. Totally, totally. So I guess within all that with rushes and, you know, if we go down this garden path where we're getting clear on what we want to do, we're out of consumer debt. We've got a good spending plan. We've got a cash flow system that's agile. We're banking as much as possible. If we're living at home, we're smashing it. If you've got to move out of home and not everyone can stay at home, maybe if you can rent or house share or something to keep your living expenses as low as possible. You've nailed lifestyle, lifestyle inflation. You've got your emergency fund nailed. So you do have a bit of cash buffer. 
the next thing we need to do, and you said it before, it's like you wrote the script of this bloody episode, so I got you. The decade of your 20s is the decade to take risks. And our former Prime Minister of Australia, a couple of ministers ago, John Howard, I asked him once, I said, what would you recommend somebody in their 20s do? I'm paraphrasing. Uh, in my situation, basically. Mm -hmm. And he said, take as many risks as possible because you've got the best chance to recover. Absolutely. You have time and I think you can rebuild from any situation. And, you know, you can rebuild from having a lot of consumer debt and from having really bad habits. But the later on in life, you get the less opportunity you have to do that rebuild from that or to enjoy the rebuild as well, to enjoy the fruits of taking the risk and getting the reward. And I think, you know, looking back on my life, if I, when I was 24 or 22 or 21, if I got married then and then had two kids, I probably wouldn't be sitting here now because your priorities change Mm. and it's like, well, I need to put food on the table and care for the family. Like that's now my reason for living, which means I might not have the time or the headspace or the money to actually take those business risks that I had to. So I think it's so important where all these things interlock. And so let's talk about, so you say risk, what do I mean by risk? Well, you're really good at marketing. Okay, how do we start to build a framework for you to be a marketing consultant? And that could be, okay, a side hustle. Yep, get some clients on the side. And then at some point, you're going to try and keep saving cash so you can take that risk and then do it full time. I think you also have a lot of time and energy in your life to do side hustles, to just sort of dip your toe in the water rather than feel like you have to go all in and have everything on the line. Yeah. And I think with the risk thing, it could be, you know what? I'm 22 I've just, uh, you know, I left school straight away. I went to uni. I did a bachelor of, I don't know, whatever, comms, mm-hmm. education, choose your own adventure. I don't know if they're, if they're actual bachelors or somewhere there. Whatever. Yep. And you go, you know what? Did, I don't know if I enjoyed that. So stuff this. I'm taking a risk. I'm going to get a full time job at an entry level in a different industry because that's what I'm now interested in. I'm going to take the risk and do that. And when your cash flow is light, you're agile, you can do that. If you're, you know, 10 years down the line, you have all these bills, you have a mortgage, you have so many financial obligations, that decision is a lot tougher. You don't have the luxury of taking opportunities like that. Yeah. And I think to kind of bookend my points, because I want to talk to you about the whole people side, have the mindset that nothing is wasted. What can you learn from? So I'll I'll share when I left school at 16, I did an apprenticeship in telecommunications as a manual occupation. I was like a fully qualified person at age 20. And then I'm like, oh, I want to do finance. But those the apprenticeship, I learned forward thinking. I learned critical thinking. I learned problem solving. You know, all the stuff that I do today in my current business. Yep. Because we've got to do like with fault finding and all that with the tech gear. Yes. 
the same comes from tertiary education in general. I think people get a bit um, concerned that the degree that they're doing may not, you know, relate to the job that they exactly want to do. But there's so many things that you get from tertiary education about being ind- independent, being accountable, um, you know, critical thinking, um, you know, lo- using logic, solving problems, all that, all that stuff that helps you later on in whatever career you decide. And it's agnostic to whatever you did at uni. Yeah. And then, yeah, I totally agree. And then when I started in financial planning, I learned that you can't actually rock up with something you want to do. And unfortunately, there's some people out there, you got to hear this point right now. You can't walk in and be CEO on the second week you're there. So I learned when I started in financial planning, I was the bottom of the bottom. Get in the mail, getting the being the office go-getter. I was so I learned that you had to work your way up. You had to learn the process. You had to follow due process. Absolutely. I don't think there's any real job opportunity that's not going to give you something that'll take you on to the next step. And yeah, so and just onto that, what I learned all when I started my business. So I started my business, I was a financial advisor. The last five years. I had actually done all the steps in a financial planning office. So I knew how to do client services really efficiently. I knew how power planning worked really efficiently. So when I built my business, when I was the um, advisor, the main top dog, I knew the processes that I set up and I'd won, you know, that these glass dumb awards here, they're not dumb, but I'm really proud of them because, you know, client experience award, best in Australia out of like 1,300 advisors in our group, you know, advisor of the year. So the only reason I've got those is because I work with someone else and I learned how to do things each step of the way really well and then I implemented into my thing. And even if you're not learning from someone who you don't, you know, if you're learning from someone who you don't think is a great role model, well, at least you're learning what not to do when it's your turn to run the business or run the show. And then the last thing I learned working for somebody was um, you pay me to be here, I you own me for the eight hours. You know, they would say, all right, we just need to spend the like, there's a thing going on and talking to you, Nath. Uh, <laughs> there's a, Nath's our editor and um, tech guy. He does all this stuff. He's awesome. Um, so there was people that were like, okay, we've got to do this like database management thing or we've got to scan files and it's like, all right, everyone's going to get sent, you know, 20 files to look at. There's people in the office. I don't get paid to... Um, do menial tasks and filing where I was of the view, you own my ass while I'm here and I'll just do whatever. Yeah. Like, it's not going to change the amount of money that comes no. into your bank at the end of the fortnight. You want me to stand there and do database stuff? Sweet. I don't care. I mean, it's like today, Nath, you know, cut up some bits of cardboard and put in the bin. That was a very expensive uh, rubbish guy that I pay. You know what I mean? But it's just like you own me while I'm here there's, and it's humble. Exactly. There's a real, Humility. Um, there's real value in being humble, um, being professional as well, mm. but also just showing an aptitude to learn new things, to be really excited to go into work. People love that. They love to see that you want to be there and that you're a sponge and that you're willing to take on whatever task they give you because you know, you can learn something from it. Talk to me about people pleasing. <laughs> I think from a 
money capacity and learning lessons in my 20s. I definitely spent money that I regret on keeping up with the Joneses, doing things because I thought other people would that cup that you've just put there is half on the edge. I can't let that sit there like that. (laughs) You know, doing things because I thought it would impress other people or that, you know, to be seen or to be, to belong to something. You know, I think that's a lesson that you learn in general in your early twenties, but it's definitely something that was linked to financial decisions. And they're the only ones that I regret in that I spent money, not because I wanted to and to get personal enjoyment out of it, Mm. but because you think you have to keep up, you have the latest thing, the latest phone, the latest outfit or go to the bar or whatever it is. And I think there's been some people in the Facebook go, oh, I'm I'm buying a new car and like mum and dad are like, you just got to get a new car. They're the most reliable, blah, blah, blah. Nope. I've got a $10,000 Volvo that's sitting out there. It's 10 years old. It's got low Ks. It's quality. There's a fallacy. I'm just harping on about cars here because cars are a big expense for people in their 20s. There's a fallacy that I need brand new to get new, uh, to, I need brand new to get good quality and safe because my parents or someone wants me to, or my uncle or my aunt. Okay, if you use that logic, you have to buy a brand new car every year if you're using that logic because that logic says I can only get a safe car and a reliable if it's brand new. So if that's the case, you need a new one every year. But I think that discounts, you know, the financial aspect that comes with deciding on a car. You definitely have to consider the safety of the vehicle, but it's a financial commitment. You know, it's an outlay. And so those have to be, those decisions have to be balanced with the impact that it has on you financially. Absolutely. And my $13,000 Volvo, I think I paid 13 grand for it. Volvo, they invented the airbag. It's safe. It's old. It still drives brand new. In fact, I think there's a guy who joined the Facebook group and he put, it's like, where did you hear about the group from? And he wrote, uh, Glenn bought my friend's Volvo. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, if you're listening. But I think there's a real um, comfort and freedom that I feel from uh, no longer feeling like the financial decisions that I make at times are driven by what other people think. I think that's so empowering to know that you're making the decision because it's what's best for you and that's not influenced by anyone around you, you know, it's definitely worth listening to the people around you and plenty of people will have good ideas and lessons that they learn, but making the decisions that suit you best will feel the best. Yeah. That didn't really make sense, but, but I hopefully you knew yeah, what I meant. For it. It's all about you. You're an adult. Uh, you can take advice with humility and be thankful, but at the end of the day, you need to hang out on something. Talk to us about like people gleaning or, you know, mentoring and stuff like that in the short time we've gotten left? Yeah, I think I was probably a little bit apprehensive and maybe a bit cocky and wasn't as willing to take the advice from other people around me. I think as a lot of people do that, you know, they're, when you're young, you think you kind of know everything and there's a lot of lessons to be learned. But I think you can 
learn those lists, not necessarily the hard way, but the easy way from listening to the people around you, talking to them about their experience with money and try and you know get little bits and pieces, golden nuggets from other people. It doesn't necessarily have to be your rich relative that made some really lucky decisions back in the 90s and are you know cheering for it now, but mm. just the people who um, you know have gone through hard times and come out the other end. Did you ever watch... Um Friday Night Lights? No. Okay. It was, I think it was pretty old. When was Friday Night? Anyway, so all that to say, what if you are living at home and you've got great parents and you've got good brothers and sisters in your life and, you know, they're going to tell you what they think, whether you ask or not a lot of the time. If there is somebody else in your life or in the community that you know like if you knew Buddy Garrity, the local car dealer guy, he's got a big business. When was Friday Night Lights, Nate? 04. 04. Whoa. I, to be honest, I only watched it like three years ago. I was even late to it. Okay. Um, but like on that people thing and mentoring, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going and paying for professional advice, but who's in your world that is an impartial third-party sounding board to say, hey – I respect you, see what you're doing over here. What would you do in this situation? People love that. They love to give their own advice. They love to share. Well, my experience has been anyway that people love to share their story, talk about what they did. And if you go there as a sponge, they love to just give you everything that they've got. It's not going to cost them anything but their time. Mm. So go and ask people, chat to people. And then following on from the people thing, you know, engaging in a professional Talk to us about that. Like you're um, you're walking down the road of buying an apartment and all that. Like, did you just go? Oh, I'll just research all the home loans myself, or did you go to a professional to? Help? I did use a mortgage broker, yeah. and thank goodness I did. Yeah. At the start, I didn't. I worked for ComBank, and I thought I know a little bit about how the bank works. I'll just go to my local branch and got my sort pre out, Yeah. <laughs> And then a bit of time passed. I was, you know, started to get a little bit more into personal finance, listening to, re, you know, different resources. I thought I'd be stupid not to go to a mortgage broker. So I'm so happy that I did. I got the best outcome for me by seeking professional advice. I think sometimes I definitely thought that I don't really have enough money to, to warrant getting professional advice, but I think... Um, you know, big or small, professionals can help you make the most of whatever you've got. Totally love that. Alex, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom about money in your 20s. And we hope that if you are listening or watching, you have uh, got some good stuff out of this. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info.
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.